Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Of what God has promised and His faithfulness to bring it to pass. That's true Bible hope, okay? And I don't know, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, um, our hope has been challenged over the last several years, right? With all the stuff that has gone on, I, I believe that our Bible hope has been challenged. The enemy is out to challenge that. Do you really believe that God is really faithful to keep his word and his promise to you? Right? And all of this stuff, you know, the COVID thing and all that we've been walking through with that, this, the, you know, the polarizing politics that have been going on, the, um, you know, the cancel culture, the science that contradicts every single thing, and, and just this, all this kind of stuff that's been going on. I really feel like the enemy is trying to take advantage to try to ruin a believer's hope because we start to question, we start to wonder. And the enemy comes in and he does it very, very um, softly. He doesn't sometimes come in with big bells and whistles, but he comes in very, very quietly and softly and he begins to kind of just work his way through and he begins to plant things in our mind and in our thoughts and all of these things where we're like, oh my gosh, what? Is God really going to do this? Is he really going to show up? Is he really going to be who he says he is? And all these promises, are they going to come to pass? And then, you know, you look at our, our society today and our, our, our economy is spiraling, right? We've got all of that going on as well. You know, you've got all these chain store, um, you know, where, where they're, they're basically shortages of, of items and stuff like that. You've got stickers that show some guy pointing at something and said, I did that. You ever seen those stickers? Yeah, I won't say who's on the sticker, but I'm just telling you, have you ever seen those? I mean, that's like frequent now. Like you go to the gas station, you go to Walmart, you go to a certain place, and there it is. I did that. You know, and you're like, man, what is this coming to? But everybody's kind of in this, this angst, this, this um, kind of anxiety of what is going to take place and, and fear of what is taking place in our world. But see, the thing is, is that we have to understand that Jesus is still on the throne, Right? He's still on the throne. Even this, there is a psychologist in Great Britain who said that listening to Christmas music too early in the year could be bad for your mental health. <laughs> no, seriously, that's, that's what they wrote. It could be bad for your mental health because you know why? This is why, why they say that. It's because when people are worried about money, work, and family, during the holidays, that can bring a constant barrage of feelings, of being overwhelmed, and it will reinforce the stress factor in your life. That's what she said. I'm not, I'm not pulling your leg. You can look it up. But that's what they said. And so, you know, you kind of look at that and you think, well, wait a minute. It's because we, we lose focus. We lose focus of what exactly is that we should be focusing on because then we're looking at all the other stuff, all the materialistic stuff, all the other things when really this joy should be happening inside of us because we've, we're connected to the creator. We're, we're connected to the one who this is all about, even in this, this season, okay? So it kind of brings up then, you know, something that Heather had said. She's like, you know, hey, let's sing this with a smile on our face. Well, what happened to the joy? 
What happened to the joy in, in this season? Or what happened towards even goodwill toward men, right? We live in a cancel culture. Like people don't want to be good, have goodwill towards you. They want to cancel you because you believe in something different than they do. And so we have to realize that, you know what? We are a people who live at a time that, that, that has not been erased in a, in a way that God's light still shines. Let me, let me read it this way to you. John, uh, John chapter 1 verse 4 says this. And I know I told you to go to James, but, I, but let's read John chapter 4 verse, uh, I mean John 1 verse 4. Did I read it? Yeah, I'm reading that right. Okay. It says, in him, okay, this is Jesus, right? Appeared the life and this life was the light of mankind. So it, there was darkness that was going on in the world. So much like what we experienced when Jesus came into the world, there was, there was darkness. Okay? But it says, in him appeared life, and this life was the light of mankind. And then you go to John verse 5, 1 5, says, the light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. The darkness has never been able to put out this light that came on that Christmas morning or whatever day you want to call it, that morning when Jesus was born, as soon as that light went out, there you go, it has never been quenched. It's never been stopped. Yet the enemy would like you to think that. He would like you to think, well, yeah, you know, but there's been situations or times or things like that. But it's never, ever, ever been knocked out. And in that Christmas carol, O Holy Night, it says, A thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices. The good news is, is that Jesus brings hope to a weary soul. You ever had a weary soul before? Man, I have. I've had a weary soul before. But you know what? It's those times when I get with Jesus. It's those times when I get to come and even worship here on a Sunday. When I get before him that, you know what? All of a sudden, my weary soul turns something totally different. It turns into joy. It turns into uh, uh, security. It turns into um, 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 boldness. It just turns into something totally different. But see, that hope is found in those who pursue him, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we hear the word pursue all the time throughout the Bible, right? Matthew 6, 33, I'm going to read in the, trans, uh, the Passion Translation says, so above all, okay? So that means above all, right? Not just, you know, uh, we'll put it on the side or it's equal. No, above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly, right? Or if you, you know, King New King James, you're used to that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, when you come looking for me, this is in the message version. He says, when you come looking for me, does that mean we have to do something, right? He's talking about pursue, He's all, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious. Say the word serious. serious. All right. When, yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. And then they added this on God's decree. That means God said it. 
Not Pastor Scott. Not, you know, no. God said it. And what's so amazing is I, I just love that. I, when, when I read scripture like that sometimes because then I, I look at it and I notice there's, like, there's this compensation. If I would just do what God is asking me to do, right, and pursue him, then there's like a compensation, right? We all like compensation. We work, right? We don't, we don't work for free. No, we want to get paid. We, hey, I put in the hours. I did the thing. But you know what? When we look at it, same principle. If I'm pursuing the Lord, the Lord says, man, I want to compensate you for that. I want to show up in your life. I want to be available to you. I want to be able to help you through all of these things. But see, there, there's that, that heart that we've got to pursue him. Right? But here's the deal. How is it though, or why is it, if God promised this, sometimes it's so hard for us to follow through. It's, it, it, it's kind of hard for us sometimes to attain that promise. Because we're in this Christmas season and even kind of this New Year season that reminds us and even challenges us to readjust our focus, wouldn't you say? Because we're in Christmas. Even though we have all this commercialism going on, Really what we should be doing in Christmas is refocusing our attention on Christ, right? Not, not on all that other stuff, but on Christ. But see, we get caught up in that sometimes. Or when we get to New Year's, New Year says, hey, you got to make New Year's resolutions. You got to have new things. So that's supposed to help us refocus and go, okay, this is the year I'm going to get tight with Jesus. This is the year I'm going to read my Bible more. This is the year that, man, we're going to be best buds. We're going to hang out all the time, every single day, right? It's, it's meant to help us refocus, to get our attention. But see, what happens, right, a lot of times is that we don't follow through. We don't carry it all the way through. We don't maintain this consistency that we're supposed to have in our pursuit of Him. So in the next couple weeks... What we're going to do is we're going to look at four essential things. Now, it's one per week, okay? Four essential things that will help us to maintain our desire to pursue Him. And they're really practical things. They're not real complicated. They're not things where you're like going like, oh my gosh, man, that's going to be so hard for me to do. Well, maybe for some it might. I, I, I could, I'll correct that, okay? But you know, we have to look at it at the fact that, you know what, we've got to be able to apply these four things. When we apply them, then you know what, they're going to help us in our walk with Jesus. They're going to help us in our walk with God. And then not only that, we'll also look at some characters in the Christmas story, okay, that help us kind of, will help us rediscover the thrill of hope in these, in these dark and weary days. But see, they're going to correlate with what the points are or what the message is. But see, they're examples of people to follow. They're examples of people to look at and go, hey, you know what? If they did it, I can do it. Because you know what? They put, they put their pants on, or maybe back then they didn't have pants, but they put their you know, gowns on one, one moment at a time, right? They put their sandals on one foot at a time. So you have to look at it and say, hey, just like them, I can apply this to my life. This is available to me as well. And so let me get to the first one. Or oh, well, not even that. Let me get to the title, right? We haven't even gotten to the title yet. I, here's the title. A humble heart. That's our first one. Is having a humble heart. Let me pray real quick. Holy Spirit, help us to understand what a humble heart is and to walk in that. Amen. 
So what is a humble heart? Well, biblical humility is not about putting oneself down or berating yourself. Because sometimes we think, well, oh yeah, you know, I'm just this. And oh, you know, I'm just whatever. Oh, look, they're so humble. No. Okay? That, that's not what it is. Biblical humility is an attitude of the heart that trusts God. That is dependent on God. And that pleases God. Right? It's one that trusts God. Okay? Depends on God. And pleases God. Right? It means that we don't think too highly of ourselves or have this exaggerated view of who we are or what we've accomplished or anything like that. It's the exact opposite of pride. Okay? And did you know that pride is actually fatal? It is. Pride is fatal to one's spiritual and mental and emotional well-being. Because pride is rooted in rebellion. And rebellion causes you to think, man, I don't need God. God doesn't need to be a factor in my life. Because I, I can make this happen. Yeah, I, 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 I acknowledge God on Sunday. I maybe, you know, turn on a worship song sometimes. I maybe do this with God. But see... When we don't actually surround or, or give our life to him in such a way that we're actually pursuing this relationship with him constantly in a daily relationship, then you know what? There's rebellion in us. That's a strong word for us. We, have, we might have some rebellion. I might have some rebellion. You know, those times when maybe I, I, I feel like, no, no, I, I don't want to pray. I don't want to give time. You know what? Because as a pastor, you got to pray. Right? You just don't like get up here every Sunday and like, oh, hey, look at me. Woo, great, you know? No, you spend time with the Lord. You spend time praying. You spend... What if I didn't want to do that? That's rebellion. That's pride, thinking that I can do this without him. And that's the same thing for all of our lives. Can we really live this life that he wants us to live for him on our own and do it in our own power, in our own ability? No. We can't, but if we think we can, then we have pride in our life and we have rebellion in our life. And man, God does not like rebellion, right? I do not want to be on that side of God, God's thing because, check this out, right? The Bible says that God will stand against you if you have pride in your life. I mean, think of some examples. Lucifer, he had pride in his life. I want to be better than God. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I can do this. What happened? Cast out. If you remember David's son, Absalom, he wanted to take over the kingdom because he could do a better job than his dad. So he sets up all this thing. What happened? He ends up, I think his hair got caught in the tree and somebody came and went, whoosh, cut his head off. And then you look at Judas Iscariot. Oh yeah, him too. Right? But this is what James chapter 4, verse 6 says. And you've heard it before, probably, a thousand million times. Okay? But hopefully, man, you'll, you'll grab a hold of this. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when people are walking in biblical humility, God is attracted to that like metal to a magnet. 
He'll show up. When we walk in biblical humility, God is attracted to that like a magnet. Right? Like metal to a magnet. How many many of you ever remember way back in school? Way back for some of us, like me. But you remember you taking those magnets and, you know, you're trying to put two magnets together and the thing's going like this and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get you. They never do. Right? But then you get a piece of metal and it goes, and then you're like, you can't get it off. See, when we walk in humility, God's attracted to that. And he says, man, I, I'm, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be, you know, on, on it like white, white on rice. Right? I'm just going to be there. But see, that's the thing. We have to understand that we have to walk in humility. Right? Because God resists the proud. Now, when it talks about resist, right? Now, this is a military term. And it's just the idea of a well-planned, prepared resistance to stand against anything that is out of order. So that means when we get out of order and we walk in pride, does God, is God right there with us? Like, oh yeah, man, let's go. No. He's like, eh, come on now. And if we don't repent, if we don't give our life back to him and say, man, I'm sorry for walking in this pride. I'm sorry for being so dependent upon myself. I'm sorry that I, I just trust myself more than I trust you that I don't even want to, I, I don't spend time with you, right? Then God's like, you know what? There's going to be some resistance. I'm going to have to resist you in what you're trying to do. So pride drives away, drives us away from God. And humility drives us to God. Pride drives us away from God. And humility drives us to God. Okay? And that humility that drives us to God is because it recalibrates our heart and causes us to prioritize Him. Humility causes us to prioritize Him. Where the point is, you know what? I can't do this without you. I, I I I can't do my day without you. I can't do my year without you. I can't do my month without you. I can't do my life without you. And, and I need all that I can have of you. See, if, 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 we were to, if God, God were to come down one day, and maybe yeah, I'll just use mine as an example. I don't, I don't really know what, where I'm going with this. But if God were to come down and he had this, this, this vase or, or a measuring cup, let's put it that way. You know those measuring cups that say one cup, two cup, three cup, and ounces and all that stuff, right? If God were to come down and say, and I, in my head, I've got, oh man, I, I gotta, I'm going to get the full cup. God's going to pour out the full cup. But see, when God looks at it and goes, no, you, there's areas in your life, Pastor Scott, that you know what, you need some work on. And there's a little bit of rebellion here, and a little bit of rebellion here, and a little bit of rebellion there, and well, there's a smidge of humility even though you think it's bigger than anything else. And we all might be shocked that, you know what, maybe Jesus operated on the four cups, and then when he gets to us, well, you got a third of a cup. What? No way. Look at this. Look at me. Look at what I've done for you. And he says, yeah, but there's still some areas that are rough. There's still some areas that I want to I kind of be able to fine-tune. And the reason why you're feeling all this weight and all this pressure and all these things about life and, and what's going on in life is because, you know, you're not really recalibrating your heart every single day to spend with me. 
You're not really getting yourself in a position to be humble and say, man, I, I know I can't do this on my own. I, I got to have you every day involved doing, being in my life. And it's just one of those things where, man, we, like, we just kind of need to understand that God wants us to recalibrate our heart. And when we walk in humility, our heart is recalibrated because we understand that we have to trust in him. So humility is pride's remedy. Can I get an amen to that? Humility is pride's remedy. Because, again, James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud. But then it says, but he gives grace to the humble. Meaning this grace given is a divine touch that transforms an individual and gives them the ability to do what God has called them to do. Right? That's grace. What you couldn't do, God gives you the grace to do it. Right? I, 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 there are times when I think to myself, where the enemy comes, right? And he tells me, you know what? Man, you, you, Pastor Scott, you, you're not the sharpest pencil in the box. And so sometimes you, you're just not going to get concepts of, of God's word and concepts of the spirit and things like that, as, as well as some other people. But see, I have to look at that and say, hey, wait, 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 wait. No. God has given me grace in my life to be able to walk what he's called me out to do. And so even if it's, it's, it's one of those things where, man, I might struggle with it a little bit, that doesn't mean I give up. Because there's a grace involved in your life. If God is calling you to get deeper in his word, there's a grace on that in your life. And that means, you know what? He's going to do everything he can to share that word to you and reveal it to you so that you're like, whoa, this is amazing stuff. So don't, don't discount yourself ever because there's a grace on your life. Right? But see, we have to walk in humility knowing that that grace comes from God. It's not our gifts or our talents. It's not how wonderful, oh, look, I'm so good at that. No, it's about the fact that, you know what, God said, you know what, I've given you this gift. I've given you this grace. And I want you to use it in the best way that you can. You use it for the kingdom. Use it for, 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 for my glory. Whatever it is, and just walk in it. Just walk in it. And see, we got to understand that sometimes, you know, we can't, we can't sit and go, oh, I want it. No. We just got to sometimes walk in it. And this grace starts to happen in our life. And all of a sudden, man, we're doing things we never thought we could do because of, of, of that grace in our life. So this grace, right, gives you and I the ability to do what God has designed and planned for you and I to do and just so you know, it doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is, right? I think one of the greatest graces in life is, is the grace of a mom. Because you know what? How, how do moms do it with kids? It's nuts, right? I look at my wife and think, man, I'm so glad that there's a grace on her life. Because at times it doesn't feel like there's a grace on my life for it. But she's able to navigate, walk through all these things with kids and all the, I mean, you guys know it. Like sometimes you're thinking, I don't know what to do. But see, God gives you guys a grace, right? To be mama bear at times, to be nurse, to be the cuddler, whatever it is. 
He just gives you the grace. And so we have to understand that we've got to walk in this posture, right? This humility posture. And, we, and we've just got to keep it rolling in our life. We've got to keep it just flowing out of us, right? And really, that's just saying, hey, Lord, man, it's your way, Lord, not my way. Your will be done, not my will. And nothing pleases God more when we begin to walk like that. And we can see now throughout Scripture that a humble heart, people with a humble heart, God uses, right? And a humble heart is what Mary, the mother of Jesus, displayed. Wouldn't you say? I think so, right? And we'll kind of look at that. But see, Mary was not one that was filled with pride. At least I don't believe so. Um, you know, and I, I think too, like Mary is not one who, you know, she went out and had everybody sign a petition to say, hey, worship me. Um, you know, pray to me, do all these things. So they, you know, I don't, I don't think Mary was that type. I think actually if Mary knew about that, Mary would have been horrified. Like, why? Why are you doing that? I'm not the savior. I just gave birth to him. But see, sometimes, man, Mary just kind of, kind of like gets glorified when, yeah, there's certain aspects about her life that are so precious and so great which made her very unique and why God chose her out of, you know, millions and billions of, of women. But God somehow looked and chose Mary because I believe it was humility. Because there was something about Mary and her heart that her heart was full of humility. And out of this humility, right, four things occurred in Mary's life. Okay, so Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, it says, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed of a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Okay? Which leads me to my first point. Mary was favored by God. Mary was favored by God. So why was she favored? Right? Was it, was it just some random selection? Did he pull a name out of his celestial godly hat? And say, Woo, Mary, you're the lucky winner. Come on down. That's the price is right. Um, anyways. But, I mean, did he do it out of that? I don't think so, right? A key is Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It's going to be up here on the board. You don't have to turn to it. But it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. But the key thing is, don't worry about that lesson. But it says, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So in other words, God looked to and fro throughout the universe, throughout all of, of the time. And there was something about Mary that caught his eye. There was something that he knew was, would, would, would be, uh, was happening inside of her. And really, if you think about it, this, this humble heart, this favor that God put on her life is something that actually comes to us as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are highly favored. 
Yeah, your favorite too. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 says, We thank God for his loving favor to us. He, having this loving favor to us, so you, you get the point? He's trying to say, hey, loving favor. You have favor on your life. Because of the blood of Christ, that's why you have loving favor. We are uh, bought and made free from the punishment of sin. And because of his blood, our sins are forgiven. His loving favor to us, right? Man, that's three times. It says, is so rich. It's not so poor. Is so rich towards you. His loving favor on your life is so rich. He wants to shower you with it. He does. But see, I think there's times when we've got to approach it and say, oh, I have that on my life. Because sometimes we don't think we have that on our life. We think sometimes God's against us. But he's not. God is not against you. He's for you. All the time. Right? But we've got to understand there's this loving favor. So if we became a Christian, if we made Jesus Lord of our life, then you have this loving favor that is so, so rich on your life that, man, you should be able to walk in that all the time and just know, man, my dad, he loves me. He's got he, this, this flowing rich favor is on my life. Okay? So let's keep reading about Mary. Okay? And, and see what God's favor was ready to unleash. Unleash in her life because of the humble heart. You already know the, the story, but I'm just, you know, let's get excited. Okay? Right? Verse 29. But when she saw him, she was touched at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So even the angel confirms it. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now think about this. If you're favored, then God has a plan for you as long as you keep a humble heart. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. But you got to keep a humble heart before him. You got to be a broken vessel. And say, Lord, man, I got cracks all over the place. But man, I'm so glad that your grace comes. And your grace covers every single one of those cracks. Right? Because grace is given to you so that it can become, come to pass in your life. So this favor that was on Mary, I believe, started with her upbringing. Now, here's the deal though. We don't know much about her childhood. Mary was probably around 12 to 14 when Mary was throttled to Joseph. Um, but here, here's what I'm convinced of. There have, must have been some key influencers in her life, to put her in a position to hear and to respond with such faith and humility before the angel, before God. There must have been some key influencers in her life, right? She responded at 12 to 14 with a humble, yeah, 
What, what is it? What is it, Lord? Right? Now, the Bible does share a little bit that Mary came from a good family. Uh, Luke chapter 3, it's believed, to give, uh, it's believed to give Mary's lineage all the way back to Adam. Okay? So if you, you look at Luke 3, you'll read it and it kind of goes through. But it goes all the way back to Adam. And that really, they, they believe, is so that it gives proof to the humanity of Jesus. Right? But not much is said about her parents. Now, here's where, where we're going to dive into something a little bit. And, and you got to go with me because, again, this is not, they don't say much about her parents at all in Scripture. But early church writers, people who, who were possibly connected to Mary or, or knew people who knew Mary over time or whatever it was, believe that her parents' actual names were uh, jo- Joachim and Anne. Right? And you might think, what, Pastor Scott? That's not in the Bible. Yeah, I know it's not. But just if you try to do some research, right? You try to trace it. Now, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord, that's what it is. But if that is the actual thing, Jochum was a priest. He was an influencer in her life. Man, this should give us a great idea of what kind of influence you have over your kids and how to raise your kids. Right? But Jochum was a priest. If you remember right too, Mary had a cousin, Elizabeth, right? Who was married to Zacharias, who was a priest. And then who, who, they had a son. What was his name? John the Baptist, right? Who came preaching. So they wrote, these early church writers wrote, and obviously again, it's not in the Bible, but they wrote that, that Mary's parents before they had Mary, had no children. And that they had actually gone and prayed to the Lord and said, if we have a child, we will dedicate this child to the Lord. This is what the early church people that are connected somehow in that. Okay? And so they prayed and they made this vow. And what happened? God came through. So what they did then is they gave Mary back to the Lord. They said, absolutely, our child is now dedicated. And they even take this a little bit farther. They said, therefore, then probably at the age of three, Mary was dedicated to the, to the um, started to begin, uh, begin to serve in the temple at the age of three, right? Now, we can look at this and based on Mary's character, that to me makes sense. That, that just makes sense. Because you know what? Mary didn't freak out when an angel appeared. Most 12 to 14 year olds, I think, would freak out. Right? They would be like, what? Mom! Dad! Or whatever. Right? Or they would be totally like, you know, just, uh. But Mary was very chill. Very relaxed. Almost like that was like just, it was was ingrained in her. Spiritual things. Again, that's such the importance of a parent. You've got to ingrain in your children spiritual things. Grandparents, you've got to ingrain spiritual things into your kids, into your grandkids. So, such, such an importance, right? But here she is, you know, and then, you know, we can also tell like Mary, you know, because what Mary ends up doing is um, down the road a little bit, 
she begins to uh, praise God for what God, is, what God is going to do, right? And she praises God in what they call the Magnificat, okay? And that's in Luke chapter 1, verse 47 through 55. We're not reading it. But if you look and do a little bit of research, that song is from the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. So she's got a little bit of knowledge about Scripture, She's got a little bit of understanding. See, that, that would be odd to have a, a girl serving in the temple because usually they were just taught, you know what, you just need to take care of the family. That's all you're going to do. But I believe, right? If, if this is all true, then that, you know what, she had this opportunity because of her parents wanting to bring her up right and making that vow that Mary ended up being well-versed in some scripture. Right? She had hidden God's word in her heart. And so here she grew up in this environment, right? Where God, the church, and the word were top priority. Now you could say, well, Pastor Scott, you might be stretching this a little bit. I might. But it's kind of hard to argue, I think, in some ways. Because, like I said, I, I just don't think Mary would be that open if she did not have a, an upbringing that, that sowed humility into her, an upbringing that, that let her know, hey, Mary, you have a purpose in your life. You have an absolute purpose, an absolute calling in your life. You were born for a purpose. God has a plan for you. And so here, here we have the Holy Spirit showing up and tells her, hey, you know what? This is what's going to happen. We're, I'm declaring your pregnancy. And from that, not from a natural way, but by the Holy Spirit. Again, like I said, Mary doesn't freak out, right? Because she's built differently. Are you built differently when it comes to things? When it comes to situations and things that, that you encounter, I just, man, I, that's a challenge for me. Am I built differently to where I approach it from a different perspective, from a kingdom perspective? Do I, do I, do I approach it that way? But there she was. So Luke 1, 34 says, then Mary said to the angel, right? How can this be since I do not know a man? Which leads us to our second point. Mary was willing to listen and learn. Mary was willing to listen and learn, right? Now, here she is. She's grappling with this. I mean, you can imagine it kind of made no sense to her, right? But see, her heart was open and willing to understand the great favor that was on her life. So in humility, not in pride, she asks. Because naturally, this doesn't add up her. But instead of going, oh yeah, I'm going to be saving, you know, if they had Instagram back then, she would have been on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And she would be totally like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, hashtag Jesus mama or whatever. But, but see, I, I, she didn't even do that. She didn't even go to other people and say anything. The Bible says her first encounter was with Elizabeth. And she hadn't even told Elizabeth. But Elizabeth, hey, I'm praying. And then all of a sudden, you know, the baby's jumping or whatever. Because of, of the presence of Jesus in, inside her womb. But see, what's really great about this. And, I, and I, I think it's one of the things I want to get across. At least in this. Is the fact that she's not 
chastised for her question. Sometimes I think, you know, we can't ask God, well, how are you going to do it? This this absolutely makes no sense. What I just read, that you said, for an example, you would meet all my needs according to your riches and glory. Back, that doesn't even make sense. How's that going to happen? You're in heaven. You're you're way way up in the sky. How? See, but God doesn't get mad. The angel doesn't go, Mary. I can't believe you said that. Come on, man. God's the one who said it. Not probably not like that. But, but you get it. Emphasis on, you know. But he, he instead, he, he responds. Because God always responds. He doesn't mind questions, right? But Luke one thirty five says, And the angel answered her and said to her, This is how. Right? I mean, have you ever? Man, you know what? I, I, I look at it. And, and, and let's just take, again, a personal thing. Uh, healing. Right? I have issues. I have things. Lord, have I ever thought to ask, how are you going to do it? Yeah, I know what your word says. You said, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I was healed. I can walk in hell. But have I ever thought to just sit there and go, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Because what I gather, he's going to answer. But he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Godly humility will always cause you to lean in, to listen, and to learn how God wants to and plans to work and fulfill your purpose in your life. That's godly humility. God, I'm leaning in. God, I'm listening. God, teach me how you're going to do this thing. Teach me how this is going to unfold. I don't even get it. I have no clue. But I know this is what you said. I know this to be true. So humility prioritizes God's strategy for your daily, monthly, yearly, and and your your life, right? It, It prioritizes it above your own strategies. Have you ever tried to live on your own strategy? Yeah. I'm right there with you. I tried to live on my own strategy for years till the Lord finally said, hey, boy, wake up. But see, that's the thing. We've got to understand. Humility prioritizes our time with God, right? God's strategy for our day, for our month, for our year, for our life. And just like Mary did, when we are confused, we can ask. A couple of scriptures that correlate with that. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, how many of you ever need wisdom? Yeah. Right here. Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Praise God. Jeremiah 33.3 says, call to me and I will answer you. I'll tell you. Marvelous and wonderful things that you could not figure out on your own. So don't be afraid to ask him, hey, how are we going to do this? How's this going to happen? I got my part to play. Right? But see, God's got a part to play too. So God has everything 
and every answer for our daily lives, but we got to practice humility, right? Acknowledging that truth every single day that He is our source. Humility will posture you, will posture your faith. Humility will posture your faith, which leads us to number three. Mary received God's promise by faith. Mary received God's promise by faith. Luke 1, 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is the angel talking. And this is now the sixth month for her who has been called barren. Verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the, I, I always, always picture like Mary going, behold, but that's not how she did it though, right? But it says, so oh. Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. All right. I want everyone to say, let it be according to me. Let it be according to me, according to your will. Ready? Go. Let it be according to me, According to your will. Okay? Somehow we butchered that, but that's okay. Wait, what? Did I mess it up? Oh, I messed it up. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Won't be the last time either. Anyways. Um, so, here's the thing. Mary knew that what the angel had declared was beyond anything man could do. Right? Now, you would say, yeah, but, you know, man, woman, we get pregnant and all that. But what, what I'm trying to say is, Mary knew what the Holy Spirit had spoken was something that was beyond what man could do. It was not possible because she had never known a man. And how could it be, right? So as a declaration of her faith, right? Her submissiveness, her, her obedience and her, her humble heart, Mary said, man, I give full credit to what you just spoke and said over me. By what she said. By what she said. When she said, man, let it be done to me according to what you said. She gives full credit in her heart. Right? And I believe that at the moment she said that is when the immaculate conception took place. Because she declared it with her mouth. She believed what the Holy Spirit, or what the angel had said, that the Holy Spirit would come as soon as she said that, I believed that's when it happened. Because there was faith involved, right? And when we take God at his word and in faith declare it to be that promise for us, right? That it would be, that I believe then it becomes, starts to become a reality. But just as it did for Mary, it's birthed differently than what happened to Mary. It's birthed differently. See, that's what we've got to understand. Sometimes just because we take what God says and we said, okay, God, I believe what you say, that we expect all of a sudden it to happen like that. But see, it takes nine months, doesn't it? It takes nine months for a baby to be born. Sometimes a word from the Lord for yourself is going to take you birthing that thing, walking through the process of it, taking, taking, taking care of yourself, doing what God has called you to do. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 says, this is in the Amplified Version, it says, therefore, inheriting the promises, 
depends entirely on faith. That is confident trust in the unseen God. In order that it may be given as an act of grace. His unmerited favor and mercy. Think about that. This whole thing is about faith and what God has, has placed on your heart. So let's finish off her story. Verse 39. And now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. What does haste mean? To a city of Judah. You, you, you know, she's like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. Is that how it is? Or she just went? I don't, I don't really know. Because um, I don't know if they had camel taxis. Lift, right? Camel lift. Hey, you know, anyways. All right. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, now this is Elizabeth talking, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed. For there will be in a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. Then it says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now this is when it gets into kind of this, this praise, right? She kind of all of a sudden had this praise break going like, woo, stop the presses. Boom, 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 right? And it was like, my soul magnifies the Lord. Yeah, not like that. But anyways, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in, in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly. Now, She's not like putting herself down. She's not going, oh yeah, I'm just this weak worm and I'm just this terrible person. I just this. No, she's not doing that. But when she says lonely, she's talking about I'm humble. I trust God. I'm open to God. I'm pressing in, trying to learn, trying to be all that he wants me to be, right? Says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, and henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. That was not pride. That was her just saying, man, I, I, I've, I've received this gift and I don't even deserve it, but I received it. So the last one is Mary prays before the blessings came. So in, in humility, you're, you're looking at this thing and you're saying, man, in humility, I'm going to walk in faith. In humility, I'm going to find favor with God. In, in humility, I'm going to praise before the blessing even came. I forgot my second point. Uh, what was the second point? Um, anybody help me out in the crowd there? Uh, oh, she was willing to listen and learn. It's my old age. It's the gray hair, right? I'm just keeping you on your toes. But Mary praised before the blessing came. Luke 1 through 46 through 48. Then Mary said, my heart is overflowing. Now this is in a different translation. My heart is overflowing with praise of my God. My soul is full of joy in God, my Savior. For he has, uh, um, wow. I can't, I don't even know how to say that word. He has what? Dinged? Dinged. Okay. To notice me. 
his humble servant. That means stoop, that he stooped down. So Mary was not, here's the deal, Mary was not super gifted, right? She was not super educated or anointed, but Mary was just humble. Mary was humble. And her praise was her expression of humility before God. Her praise was an expression of her faith. Her praise was an expression of her leaning in and listening. And this faith proclaimed with gratitude and thanksgiving that she was convinced that God was able to keep his promise to her. That what he had promised, he was going to keep and be faithful to complete it. So her priority to God developed humility in her, which is such a key factor for us, right? But here, here's the deal. It's attainable for all of us. Every single one of us can walk in humility. But I think it has to do with our ability to pursue God, with our ability to, to go after him, to make him a priority in our life. And when we make him that priority, then humility becomes something that's a part of our life. This is what James chapter 4 verse 10 says. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up, right? When you are weary, what will he do? He'll lift you up. But see, you got to humble yourself. And that might be just coming and saying, Lord, I'm I'm weary. I, you know, and he might just point, he might take a magnifying glass and say, well, hey, let's take a look at how much time he's spending with me. And you might be like, ah, oh, terrible. But he's like, that's okay. Let's just rearrange that right now. Okay. But see, we have to understand that we've got to prioritize this. But he will lift you up even when you're weary. And I know it's not always easy, right? Because we have so much coming at us and to distract us. But in order to rejoice with hope in a weary world, our hearts have to be humble. We've got to kind of take that picture from Mary, right? Because really, I think that's what God wants to do in this, this, this season. In this Christmas season, he wants us to be able to kind of take that, that um, uh, microscope and say, hey, let's look at it this way. How's your humility going? How's your humility going? Not, not before other people. Right? Because you can, you can fake humble. You could be a faker, right? You can have fake humble, humility before people. But not with God. Right? God's very much aware of where your humility level is. And he wants your humility level to grow. But that humility comes when you spend time with him. When you, when you put your dependence upon him. When you lean in and listen and learn and allow your faith to grow and saying, God, I trust you more than anything I see right now. Anything I see. Anything I see more than what my pocketbook has to say. Now, that doesn't mean you don't use wisdom. Right? But man, I trust you more than anything at all. And so we wanted to look at this humility and and, and just to help us be able to focus on the fact that humility will lead us to favor. 
Humility will lead us out of weariness because we serve a good God who loves you graciously, who loves you so much. And so if you would, bow your heads. And we'll end our service. Holy Spirit, we we thank you that you are in this place. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that, that you would speak to each of us even now or you've been speaking throughout the service or even as we go home this week about humility. How much do we really depend upon God? How much do we really put our trust in God? How much do we really prioritize meeting you daily and depend on your strategy for our day? and our month, and our year, and our life, more than our strategy. Help us to shred our strategy, just like a paper shredder. We might have it all written out in our mind, but Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to come and take that, our strategy, and shred it like paper, so that we would come to the creator of it all, the Lord of our life, the Lord of our hearts. And that you would begin because we're humble before you to experience your grace, to do your strategy, to do your will because you've empowered us to do it. And you've given us everything we need. And so we thank you for loving us today. We thank you for a, a hopefully an encouraging word today. And I thank you that you will continue to do all in our midst that, Lord, we know we can't do, but we have faith to believe that you'll do it. And we stand upon the word of God today. In Jesus' name. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.